The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Toe Pop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson, and we're on brand new Skype. <laughs> like this, I, I feel like this is a bit exciting, and the, the main reason is that Skype decided to update itself just before we started doing this podcast. I didn't click yeah. on update the new Skype, and what I haven't had time to do before we started doing this podcast is reacquaint myself with the new Skype, and they've changed things around. So what I have at the moment yeah. on my screen is a kind of Brady Bunch style uh you know in three split parts. screen so i have you down in the bottom right hand corner and coming through in beautiful quality i can see your handsome face in a way i never have before over skype before <laughs> so that i like it uh, up in the right hand corner though taking up just as much room is a small cartoon of mike hal looming over our shoulders <laughs> in cartoon form and then in a much bigger screen, a screen that then, then takes up the, the left-hand side of the screen uh, and equal to the two other squares, I've got me and I'm not liking it because I'm actually having to kind of watch myself talk to you and spout this bullshit and I do not I enjoy know. that. Well, my experience is different. My window is like 98% Will Anderson in environment, tiny little Mike Hal and then an well, even smaller me. That's what I want. I want you. Me, I want so. to see my apartment saying that I never fucking visit there. <laughs> well, the walls haven't changed. Still white, and you're wearing white, so white. really just yeah. blending into the wall. <laughs> yeah, my I just look like a floating head. It's like oh, it's really good to see my apartment. If the walls could talk, they can. There's a head coming out of them. <laughs> this updating of software. I went to the Apple Store the other day because I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll, it's time to update. I had one of those moments, which I imagine is only going to get more frequent as I get older. But I got the new iPhone X. And I tried to open the menu screen and I could not for the life. I'm swiping left and right and has no home button. So I'm like a monkey at the start of 2001, just like beating my hand against this thing. And like finally Jem came and she, she opened it for me. And then I'm like, okay, cool. You know how you do that thing with an iPhone where you swipe from the bottom and it brings up a menu where you can pause something, you can change the brightness, volume, all that kind of stuff. Is that the one that also brings the torch up if you're on some sort of other page? Yes. Ah, well, so I've had my iPhone for, I guess they've had that as part of the technology for how many years? Oh, like four or five years. Someone showed me how to do that the other day. I was like, how do you turn the torch on? And they showed me how to swipe up. And I was like, oh my God, shit happens if you swipe up. But I just know that one day I'm going to go into that Apple store and the new phone is just going to be like a, it's going to be like a, just a glass globe, transparent glass globe. And I'll go to pick it up and everyone will be like, whoa, 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 whoa dude, what are you, what? Don't, you don't touch it. You don't touch it, mate. You leave it here in the shop. You just give them money and you leave the globe here in the shop <laughs> and they put a chip in your forehead and that's your phone now. You don't know how to work it. Yeah. Also, it shuts down your brain every six months. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, you I, you I, now I, operate yourself by saying, okay, Charlie. <laughs> that's the only way you work <laughs> now. You've got to get up in the morning and say, okay, Charlie, get up. I ask myself lots of cute questions like, Charlie, what is love? You know, the funny thing is, though, I reckon that's it's the AI stuff that's out for Christmas. I've noticed everywhere, um, not just the updates of the iPhones and stuff, because to be honest, Apple seems to be falling a little bit behind in this sphere. But your Googles and your Amazon yeah. and these sort of things with those home devices, they seem to be what they're pushing as the big Black Friday slash Christmas presents for get a Google mini fucking AI computer in your home, sucking up all yeah. the information and data. And then like next year, you're going to get your own Terminator. Baby's first Terminator next year. Who uh, thought it happened this quickly? Oh, <laughs> us on this podcast. I'm convinced Charlie Brook is, Brook is behind it. He just wants content for Black Mirror Series 4. So he's given this real push and just like write in your stories of you being terrorized by your home, your home assistant. 
I would say the opposite. I reckon if you're a Charlie Brooker, it's like the people who made House of Cards. Remember when this was their only problem they had? Their problem was <laughs> the dump, the dump, that Trump was actually doing things more outrageous than the characters on the show would do things, and so it kind of ruined the show. I think that would be the same with like Charlie Brooker. He works in that sort of zone of taking the fact that we all have phones and then turning it into the idea that we all have these machines in their home that are sucking up all their information into one of his like you know pithy dystopian future vignettes. But like now they're just happening in real life. Life and he's like, what the fuck do I do? <laughs> have a job. Although, isn't there a thing of the thing that why Black Mirror kind of works is even the things that set far in the future. There is an element where you can see the natural evolution of how we got to that point. Whereas, you know, with the Trump thing, like that was like a, there was a complete gap in everyone's ability to guess that happening. I don't know. Like I was reading an article the other day, and it was making a lot of sense that Trump is just an inevitable symptom of the fact that we like plummeted into this information age, you know, that we went yeah. from this place where everybody could suddenly a raise their voice and be pissed off about everything. Cause like the joke about Twitter, right. Is that like, you know, it's just people being angry about everything now. Like when Twitter started, <laughs> it was nice. People forget that. Yeah. It used to be wordplay games about movies and stuff. Put Batman in a movie <laughs> title. You'd play that for three yeah, yeah. days. That, that was Twitter. It was yeah. fucking great. And now it's just angry bots yelling at you about politics and stuff. And so it's just become this place where people, we live in this age where suddenly every company was saying, uh, hang on after the call to give us your opinion. We're being asked our opinion constantly on things. We Down the bottom of every article, there's a place where you can give your opinion. You know this from the AFL world with the, like the big footy forum and stuff like that. If you just let idiots have their opinion publicly a lot of those opinions will be idiot fucking opinions but suddenly because they've been published they think they're important and that's how we fucking get trump so are you saying like we live in an age where any idiots can broadcast their thoughts whenever they want like say two guys on a podcast i mean i understand the inherent irony that this is where you're finding out about it guys i understand the inherent irony that my warnings about our dystopian future and the robots coming to kill us all have been broadcast in a medium that has only been made possible by the same technology that will let the robots kill us all i get that Charlie. okay i understand that but did you see that uber story this week Uber got hacked and they released oh, one yeah. in 10 people uh, worldwide had their information compromised by Uber. We should have fucking known when we signed up all that information, our credit card details to this random cowboy company that like didn't pay its drivers properly, was completely you know, unprofitable, wouldn't hire women, had this whole horrible toxic culture. And we were like, oh yeah, but I'm sure they're looking after our data. I'm sure they're not taking the same slipshod cowboy approach to fucking data collection as they have to every other aspect of what they've done in their business. But what is the other option? Like I watched this documentary called Dark Web, which was basically all about uh, hacking culture and stuff. And there's a lot of these guys who are very paranoid about, you know, uh, interacting online. So they have firewalls and they in using encrypted like messages and all this kind of stuff. And the message you get from this film is like, we should all be doing this. But then I am lazy. I know what I'm like. I put everything like, you know, of course I've got credit card details online. The amount of times I've punched in my mailing address or whatever for stuff, like my information is out there because I'm too lazy to learn how to use encrypted data, uh, software that, that teaches me how to message people without the government being able to read it. Oh, no, I absolutely agree with you. I, I try to minimize it. But there's a necessity of modern day life that means you're giving over that information to people. Yeah, I mean, I'm like a lamb who goes to the slaughter. I make a lot of noise on the way to the slaughter, but I still right. go to the slaughter. Yeah, it's, it's like me. I have my Band-Aid over my camera on my computer, but I take it off to do this podcast so they can just suck up all the information right now while we're doing this and then I'll put my Band-Aid back on. Wouldn't it be great to see what that automated advertising would be targeting us if it was based just on this podcast alone? Well, you know what the interesting thing is? You always forget what sort of data people are collecting on you. Like we, we've had a whole bunch of internet problems at this house and I was trying yet again in my quest to try to, you know, get them fixed in some way the other day. And I had a technician come around and I said to him, I said, we just constantly have to turn it on and off. And he goes, oh yeah, we know. Like we get a little reading on our thing. Like it's registered every time you turn it on and off because like huh, really? know, to us, that's a signal that there's a problem with, you know, what's going on and, you know, it goes into our data. So literally they know how bad my internet is at my house and they've been doing fuck all about fixing it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's like that uh, that whole new net neutrality kind of debate that's happening at the moment is I see why everyone's freaking out and I can understand that, oh God, like this could change things. But at the same time, I could just see us rolling over. Like I could just see us rolling over and then within five years, we'll accept the fact that we have to pay extra if you want to go on Facebook, you have to pay extra if you want a Netflix stream, you have to pay extra for all this kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. It should be like an international infrastructure, you know? Like it should just be one of those things that the world kind of agrees that the internet should be kind of free because the truth of it is that the more ideas that are out there, even though there's like massive downside that we're trying to deal with, with the dissemination of fake news and stuff. I think the only way now is that we can't just let some companies have all the information. Like the only freedom is almost the fact that all the information is out there because once all the information is out there, the fact that you have a lot of the information and nobody else becomes less valuable. You look at companies like, you know, Amazon, right? The amount of data mm. they collect on you. And you know, if you've got your Alexa on at home and then you order a pizza, it remembers every time you order a pizza and it's making judgments about you. I mean, in a data sense, <laughs> but it's making judgments about you. You know, like No, I think in both senses. I think in both senses. I reckon it's judging you. Hey, Tubby, do you really need another pizza? You've had right, three But the other week. thing is it's going to get intuitive, right? And it's getting to the point where you, know, you go to order a pizza and it's been programmed to order a pizza from another company. Or it gets to that same time where you normally order a pizza, but you're on a diet. And so you've decided not to order a pizza, but your Alexa's there going, hey, Charlie, don't you feel like a pizza right now? <laughs> Isn't this the time of the week where you normally feel like a pizza? And then suddenly you're eating pizzas while they're building Terminators. That's how it all ends, Charlie, with Terminators. I mean, you don't even have to go that far. I've noticed with YouTube and the channels I subscribe and, and how YouTube, the algorithms will target videos to send to me. Like, because I've gone through this, like, the last month or so we've talked, I've gone through this, like, wrestling kind of phase. I've just started watching a lot of wrestling again. Now that's all I fucking get. And it's really annoying because I'm sort of through my wrestling phase. I want to get back to some more interesting videos. Because, you know, like, six months ago I was reading a few different books and I was getting much more diverse, interesting suggestions. But because of I indulged in wrestling for two weeks, now that's all I'm fucking getting. I mean, YouTube's amazing at that. It's it's one of those things where they can... So there was one video that I obviously used to watch a little bit on YouTube, uh, and it was uh, the song uh, Forever by Drake, uh, Lil Wayne, Kanye, and Eminem. Do you know that song? <laughs> hang on. I'm, I'm sh hang on. Sure. It's the way you framed it. That you Did you say you obviously were watching this video a lot as if, like, everyone has? No, I mean, I'm, I'm going to explain to you why it has become obvious to me that I was watching it a lot. Oh, right. okay, sure, sure, yeah, sure. And it relates to what you were saying about YouTube. It will make a lot more sense when I finish it, Charlie. You'll be like, oh, that is actually okay. directly connected to the topic we were talking about. <laughs> so what happens is I haven't specifically gone to watch that video ever since, obviously, the time of period where I watched it four or five times in one day or whatever, right? I was probably trying to learn Eminem's yeah. rap or whatever. So... <laughs> But now, because it has four different people in it, all who have their own careers, uh, if I manage to go anywhere near a video that hints the first suggestion I always get. So the other day I was trying to Google uh, Eminem was on Saturday Night Live and people were divided about whether it was good or not. And so I was trying to yeah. uh, go on YouTube and find that. And as soon as I tried to find that, suddenly the first thing that pops up underneath is like, hey, you know what you like? The song Forever. <laughs> but, and it's got Eminem in it. Also, Lil Wayne, Kanye, and Drake, if you don't mind. Yeah. It's like when I watched the All For One music video, and then every suggestion after that was Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting. <laughs> yeah. What did you, did you, did you see the Eminem performance? No, I was, it was geo-blocked in Australia. Ah, right, right. That's I why I was on it. YouTube and, uh, trying to find a copy of it. I mean, you and I, uh, uh, you and I are Slim Shady fans from way back. We've been to we've been to a concert together only a few years ago. Yeah, only a few years ago. That's the point that we have to point out. Well past when he got shit, but it was when yeah. he was getting good again. We need to point that yeah, out. That's... I don't know where he is in that cycle at the moment, unfortunately. Because I saw him in two thousand and one when he was probably like just exploding and. It was one of the worst concerts I've ever been to. But then you called me like 10 years later to say you had tickets that I want to go. And I was amazed by like how much you'd grown. I seriously think it was one of the best concerts I've been to. Just to, Yeah, it was just such a fun of, night. It was great. It was great. So 
I've always sort of like, I, I, you actually said something that night which made me think, which was, you said, you kind of thought about Eminem, oh, he had his time and maybe that's it, you know, he had a really good run, but then those albums subsequently got kind of like worse and worse and worse. And then I guess after recovery, he really started finding his feet again. But now I feel like there's been this sort of this downturn again. It's like, I don't know about this next chapter. And that performance on Saturday Night Live, I think actually really highlighted the limitations of rap sometimes if you don't if it's not a really great song and you're going to get a band behind it and stuff i just don't think i don't think stan necessarily plays well as like a live performance you know what i mean i think there's there's something about that song which works in your headphones and stuff but then when you've got like a eight-piece band and you know someone playing piano on the side i just i don't know i just don't feel like that's i know why he played it because it's his probably his most famous song but i don't feel like I don't, it didn't feel anything. It didn't feel dangerous. It didn't feel like exciting. It just sort of felt like he did his new song and then played two hits. But you know Charlie, what I mean? like, come on. He had a beard. You don't find that dangerous? Yeah. I hate that beard. Yeah. I am so not well, into I hate, the beard. I hate that beard because it's manicured. If it was just like a right. beard like mine, like this is, I just grown it. I haven't shaved it, but he's shaved it up to his jawline. And I thought that was like a big in sync no-no. Oh, mate, it, it, it looks ridiculous. I hate it. And he's clearly like, he, it was a bit grayer before and he's clearly like, you know, colored it a little bit as well. Dyed so it's it. got this sort of like <laughs> movie villain, like, you know, aspect yeah. to it as well. And I, I just, I'm not into it. I had this discussion with my hairdresser last week. I got my hair cut and I had a bit of color put in. And uh, I don't have a lot of grays, but you know, there's enough there that I felt I want to, I want to blend these away. And she was, so, and I was saying to her like, is that pathetic? Like, should I just accept who I am? And she's like, you know what? It's fine. She's gone, you can still look like you get away with having dark hair. But she's gone, I notice you've got a bit of grey in your beard. She's gone, I'd advise you not to touch that. <laughs> she's gone, that is the dead giveaway. Dye in beard. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I have no problem with grey hair, even though I dye my hair, clearly. Spoilers, everybody. Anyone who's seen <laughs> my hair and my eyebrows, if you haven't worked that out, then you're not Columbo. But... um like, my, I mean, my eyebrows are literally, what, eight shades lighter than my hair? Yeah, no. No, so for a second there, I thought you were going to confess that you dye your eyebrows. That's why I was a bit, my expression was a bit shocked. <laughs> no, I understand now. They're different to your hair, yeah. No, I, I, like, I had a hairdresser once because I like my hair dark. They were like, oh, maybe we should put some color in your eyebrows. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I... <laughs> I wasn't doing anything like for a few weeks, so I knew that it wasn't going to be. If it just looked terrible, then I could sort of just hide from public. It wasn't like I had to film anything with my like dark eyebrows. And Charlie, all I would say is I'm glad I took that into consideration because I'm not sure I left the house for four weeks. All I did was like stay inside Lady Macbeth style, <laughs> trying to scrub the fucking. Like, like they looked like cockroaches or something. No caterpillars. Did you like look dark caterpillars did you naturally... on my face? Did you naturally just look angrier? Oh, yeah, definitely angrier. I think when you get your eyebrows darkened, it makes you look angrier. Because I know when Gemma gets her eyebrows darkened, when she comes home from the salon or whatever, when they, you know, before they've kind of settled in, I always think she's angry with me when she walks in the door. I'm like, oh, no, that's right. You just had your eyebrows done. I've noticed with people who like, because, you know, there's that, uh, there's a group of people who shave them off completely or wax them off completely and then draw them back on. And they always Mm. look angry. I mean, at the world more generally, but it's almost like they've drawn them back on in an angry way, like up slightly arched, like everything's just pissing them off. I understand that. I, when, I was, when I was obsessed with Michael Keaton when I was younger, when the first Batman film came out, I, I loved how he had those arched eyebrows. I remember I'd spend like hours in the mirror trying to see if I could just somehow get that arch going or maybe probably more Luke Perry. It was more of a Luke Perry kind of like, you know, the furrowed brow kind of thing. I don't pull that off very well. I look like I'm, when I'm trying to look cool, I look short-sighted. Do you ever get your eyebrows like plucked or manicured or like uh, shaped oh, in any fashion? Dude, I had my eyebrows threaded before I left Australia. I didn't uh, even know threading was a thing that they let men do. Ah, uh, well, here's the thing. Well, Jem was getting her eyebrows threaded. We we're in a shopping center and it was one of those little, like in the middle of the shopping center, a little partition thing. And Jem said, you know, do you want to get yours done? I'm like, okay, cool. And so this woman started to do it. Do you know the process of it? Like they just drag a thread over your, like these loose hairs around your eyebrows and the thread like rips it up like Velcro. It was, I've got 
two tattoos, one on my ribs. This was the single most painful experience of my life. Like, as an actor, you get your eyebrows manicured all the time. They'll pluck your monobrow, whatever, before you get in front of a camera. But this, she was dragging this thread all around. Like, they're grabbing hairs that you can't even see because they're so light. I was twitching and shucking and jiving. And it was like that scene from 40-Year-Old Virgin where I was like, <laughs> like, are you doing this on purpose? Are, are, you, are you qualified? What is going on here? And the worst part was we're in the middle of the shopping center. It's always great when you're getting some procedure and the thought going through your head is, are you qualified? <laughs> <laughs> but there was quite a few people walking past and quite a few people who watch Home and Away, clearly, because they just saw the high school principal from Summer Bay twitching in a chair while some woman ripped a thread across his face. It was agonizing. It's, I, I don't know why I have this prejudice, but I'm always skeptical of going to anything that's a stall in the middle of the mall. If you can't like afford your own shop, I don't want to go to some pop-up beauty scenario. Like they have teeth whitening. I've noticed a lot in these like booths. Mm. You like you sit in a booth and you put some like laser on your teeth. And I've got like, as I've talked about on the podcast before, horrible teeth and horrible eyebrows. I've let myself go, Charlie, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that I was shooting something for the ABC two days ago and the makeup lady was like, would you mind if I just like trimmed your eyebrows? And I was like, no, no, go for it. And she got out like a full pair of like cutting your hair scissors. <laughs> yeah, totally. She gets a pair of garden shears. Yeah, she, yeah she, she gets a leaf blower and a chainsaw. And it's like, what's going on? So did she, did she do plucking as well? No, no, no. She was just like, mine are so out of control. And they're so like thick and bushy anyway, but like they start to fly out John Howard style at the end. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No, she just she just like cut that away. So that's good that you said John. My my re- go to reference is always Fred Hollows. That my eyebrows are looking a bit Fred Hollows. <laughs> but John Howard's probably more. But more people will get John Howard. Well, I mean, the, the good news, I guess, like was that well, John Howard was in the public eye all the time, whereas Fred Hollows was mostly around blind people. So that was the yeah. great advantage of Fred Hollows' job. Was like most of the time you could just like, you know, wear last night's clothes to work and no one had noticed because they were blind. I mean, obviously that minute where he cured their blindness, they get a rude shock yeah. about the state of his eyebrows. <laughs> most of their first words were, thank you. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Been operated on by an owl. <laughs> oh, I'd rather be blind. Jesus. <laughs> this is what seeing is. I'd rather be blind. They they give back their own twenty dollars and go fix me put me back. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's our that's Tofa. We make fun of Australian humanitarians. <laughs> I love the Fred Hollows Foundation. It's one of those ones where you just like he was a great um, you know pioneer, but also he came up with a very affordable technology to you know fix people's blindness and i always you know well, we've talked before on the podcast about you know the, the how many charity people there are in the street now but there are certain ones that i always stop for and uh the fred hollows ones are one of those um did you ever mostly to uh, say how fucking big were his eyebrows <laughs> what was going on with that guy i don't give him money i just i, I was like this is for eyebrow research that's what i'm giving money to <laughs> yeah that's money on blind kids and how, just more research and how do you trim those fucking yeah. bits? <laughs> I find uh, like thick brows on girls very attractive. Like uh, uh, Jennifer Connelly. Oh, yeah. She's got hairy eyebrows. Carol Della, Cara Della Vigny. Oh, have name? you ever seen her being interviewed though? No. No. I, wa- I watched her Why? on the Gra- Graham Norton show the other night. And I reckon if there's any oh, show yeah. that gives you a sen- sense of what somebody might actually be like, because there's enough guests and because of the way that Graham sort of hosts that show, but the, it's, you learn as much about the interaction between the guests as you do, like, you know, from the interviews and the questions and stuff. And, oh, it's been a long while since I've seen Graham Norton clearly just get fed up of one of his guests. And he was oh, so really? color Dullivan. That's what I would call her. And she was on there spruiking the fact that oh, she's God. written this book, but she hasn't really re- written the book. Like some other person's written it. It's just her thoughts that some author wrote down. Right. Uh, but like, she's on there as an author and she's talking about the process. And there was just one question where Graham Norton like asked about the process and she explained, you know, that she's just got so many ideas in her head, but she, you know, needed someone else to write them down and put them in an order and stuff. And Graham Norton goes, so, 
you didn't really write the book then, did you? <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but whatever he said in a much nicer way, it was that was exactly. So for what people he was listening at home, Will laughed so hard at his own joke then that he lost control of his microphone. <laughs> it wasn't my Just joke. That- it was like I, I was laughing at the memory of Graham Norton. He might as well have got up and rolled his fucking eyes. If he'd had that segment where they have the red chair that he can push the button and they fall down, he would have wheeled that in, put Carla Dullivine in that fucking chair and then just buzzed it down. Have you ever seen Dave Letterman with a guest he clearly doesn't like? My favourite Letterman's. Oh, my God. He did this one, which, and it seems so kind of inconsequential in the, in the scheme of who we've interviewed, but he had... Lou Diamond Phillips on and I remember this is like the late 90s or early 2000s and I don't know what was up with Dave that day he was just in a foul mood and Lou Diamond Phillips was actually being a fantastic guest he was funny he was honest he was giving great anecdotes and Dave just sat there stony-faced and did not like just 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 let him drown it was so awkward i don't know what had happened but it was painful to watch i love the the madonna one's the famous one right when madonna comes on and i like madonna by the way like i think there's something amazing about you know this world that is now existing there are a lot of women who grew up listening to madonna and being inspired by madonna and her like control of her image and her sexuality and you know her understanding of like the manipulation of pop music and her speaking out on issues about like, you know, men in the industry. I think like if you looked back, there'd probably be a whole bunch of women who've gone on to, you know, revolutionize and shake up the world who probably, you know, were inspired at least in some small way by like watching someone like Madonna. So I like Madonna. I saw her in concert Mm -hmm. once. Um, It was like the world's most expensive rocker Sedford. It was fucking crazy. <laughs> like, it was like, I didn't know when she was singing. She like, she was, she'd dance, she'd sing, she'd like make political statements. Like, I can't, like all of her songs are good and none of her songs are good. Like it was, it like there was a lot of sex, like just a lot of sex and sexuality, but some good musicianship and stuff as well. It was, she played guitar. It was like everything. It was like, look, look at all these things that I can do. <laughs> <laughs> what era are we talking Oh, it was like uh, six years ago, like six or seven years ago. She came back. She did a big sort of like world tour. There was a bit of new stuff, but mostly sort of old stuff. Yeah, it is hard. I mean, Madonna does have to cop a lot of shit. Like even now, like you wouldn't think her male contemporaries, like, you know, pop stars from the 80s who are sort of legendary, have copped as much shit as her. Maybe Michael Jackson for obvious reasons. Yeah, well, Michael Jackson for much more obvious reasons, you know. Yeah. Well, that's true, isn't it? I mean, like Michael Jackson, to attract the same amount of criticism and venom as Madonna, had to be accused of molesting children. Madonna just cops it because people don't like the fact that she's still performing. I mean, it is something wrong with the way that we you know, view in our society. We're like, yeah, they're equally bad. No, they're Hillary Clinton yeah. and Donald Trump. That's what they are, right? You're like, you don't like either of them, but one is clearly demonstrably better than the other one. Yeah, I guess it's just, I mean, people, the hardest thing to do when you've been like a star... For, you know how many years is the hardest thing to do is to kind of have people not get sick of you Gemma was watching this Bowie documentary the other day and it was an interview with him it opens with an interview with him from like the mid 70s and I'm watching it going wow this guy is fascinating but the amazing part is he's got so much more fascinating things to do like this was him early in his Ziggy Stardust era of his career and he just kept on like reinventing himself and getting more interesting like Madonna you would argue more than a Michael Jackson or any of those big pop stars from that era, like reinvent, like deliberately reinvented herself, went to extremes to say, okay, well, I'm doing this sex album now, now I'm doing this like country and Western album now. Whereas Michael Jackson always kind of stayed very safely in his R&B kind of pop star genre, right? Right, absolutely. All Michael Jackson's songs sound pretty much the same. Like good, catchy, but, you know. Well, like, they all sound, he's, he's almost, it's almost his, his own genre of music. Because a Michael Jackson right. ballad sounds like a Michael Jackson ballad. A Michael Jackson kind of like more rock song sounds like a Michael Jackson rock song. It's basically he's got his own part of the world carved out. Oh, I was going to say, we can't judge Mar- Michael Jackson harshly for only doing things within the genre of Michael Jackson. Like, it feels like he is the most eminently qualified to do Michael Jackson style material. We can judge him more harshly for the whole, you know, pedophile thing. <laughs> And these have been my balanced thoughts on Michael Jackson. (laughs) I never saw Michael Jackson. Did you ever see Michael Jackson? 
No, I was going to go and see him once. I like, yeah, out of curiosity. And I, I think that I probably would have enjoyed it. Like I liked a lot of Michael Jackson songs and I think I would have enjoyed the spectacle of it. Um, you know. Oh shit. You went and saw Midnight Oil. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Just like a, what? A How is ago. that? Oh, amazing. Like I've probably seen them 10 times in my life. I reckon like when I was at uni, we saw them a heap. They were like their biggest and they would come through Canberra all the time. But I saw them in a bunch of other places as well. And I was really into Midnight Oil for a while. And weirdly enough, I think because of the style of their music, have not revisited it at all in the last 20 years. Like since I was really into them, I just never at home will put on really? a, like a Midnight Oil album or whatever, right? You hear enough of their songs on the radio and now that I work at Triple M, you definitely hear enough of say. their songs on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this though, Charlie, somebody the other day like was complaining, like, you know, one of the people who worked at Triple M was like, oh, fucking hoodoo gurus again. And you know how you and I feel about the hoodoo gurus. And I was just there going, oh, hoodoo gurus again. Like somebody was asking me about like what the doing the radio is like. They're like, oh, it must be hard getting up early in the morning. I'm like, yeah, I mean, but I get up early in the morning, you know, pretty much anyway. And I go into a place where they give me free coffee for two hours while I have a conversation with Luke Hodge or Sir Ian Botham. <laughs> and like every hour they'll play a Hoodoo Guru song. I'm wrapped. <laughs> Never been happier. <laughs> and they pay me and I go home at 9.30. It's the best. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. Someone was asking me that about you the other day. They're going, oh, so Will's doing Triple M now. Is, is he happy with that? And I'm like, well, I said, it's kind of like Will's grown into Triple M. Like, and all the things that you talk about, like football, comedy, current affairs, like, that's kind of your bread and butter anyway. Oh, mate, like last week, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, I would have been talking about the fact that Australia voted yes on same-sex marriage to people. Uh, but instead, I woke up in the morning and I talked about the fact that Australia voted yes to the Prime Minister. And asked him an awful question about whether they were going to pass the legislation by Christmas and put him on the spot and kind of ruined his interview. It was so much fun, Charlie. And then I got to talk to Ian Botham. It was great. How's Beefy going? Oh, unreal. Absolutely unreal. Like, for me, like, there's still a bit of me that when I, like, I used to sit at home with my dad, you know, on Anderson's Road. Like, you know, watching the cricket, my dad's thing that he just loves to do, like all day long. This is as close to like having a genuine like bonding session with my dad that I ever had was watching the cricket with him. Like the fact that I, the other morning was hanging out with Ian Botham and like made Ian Botham laugh probably is the most proud my dad's ever been of me. (laughs) (laughs) It yeah, takes a uh, while. It takes a while for your parents to be proud of you. You're 43, like finally. I mean, there's well, there's a lot in the shame. I mean, bucket. you have done a lot of jokes about drugs and sex and stuff. Like, I'm glad your parents have finally, you've fit a job that can finally make your parents proud. Well, I think it's like, I like to think of it as like there's two buckets, Charlie. And like, you know, that you're transferring, like there's the shame bucket. So there's all the times that I've like made them ashamed of me. And then, like, you know, every time you do something good that they can be proud of, they take something out of the shame bucket and put it into the good bucket. What I'm saying is, earlier this year, I got arrested, admittedly, for something that I hadn't done wrong. But, yeah, I still think, you know, that's got to go into the shame bucket. And then, uh, yeah. you know, meeting Sir Ian Botham and making him laugh, that puts some of that shame into the proud bucket. I, actually, I know you're joking, but I actually think that seems like a dynamic new parenting technique. With your children, you have two buckets in the house. <laughs> one is the pride bucket and one is the shame bucket. And every time your kid does something that embarrasses you, you bring them home and you write down what it is and you show them, I'm dropping this in the shame bucket, and then they do something that makes you proud, you put that in the pride bucket. At the end of the year, if you've got more in the pride bucket than you've got the shame bucket, you get a Christmas present. <laughs> you get to stay in the family. They put the yearly rankings on the wall next to where they put your heights at different ages. So you have a measurement of where you rank in the family in pride and shame. And it actually, you know what I could do? It's one of those things where uh, you've been away, so you might not have seen this, but pretty much every comedian in Australia has just released a children's book. They've all had kids and like Mm. looked into the lucrative children's book market. By the way, we've been contacted by a publisher about writing a children's book. and I'm not even joking. (laughs) Are you serious? the fuck would we do like neither of us have children 
Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, maybe that's our angle, though, right? It's a kids' book by people who don't have kids. That's actually not a do bad you think angle. I could re- do you think I could read the email? I mean, she's a listener, so I don't know if this is like a bridge of confidence, or whatever. But like, she goes through her rationale for us doing it. I'd love to hear it. Like, well, we can leave out the important details, but I think that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This on. is just, this is our feedback. Take- this is us replying in the medium we're most comfortable right. with. So this will be fine. Let's just take a little. A little okay. break because I've just got to find the details. So just give me beautiful. A I'll stand up and stretch. Uh, we're back because Charlie had to go and find the email. But uh, in the meantime, we've been having an off-air conversation <laughs> with our producer Mike Hal, and uh, we have learnt something alarming. I mean, we've always been aware that uh, you know this show is produced by. Uh, look, artificial in- intelligence. You know, look, we've seen him in human form, but you know, he was a little bit too we attractive and beautiful. That could have been that could have been a that could have been a two pack style hologram for all we know. Computer. Well, you know what hologram. it is. It could have been Alfred dressed as Batman. You know, it's not actually Batman. Exactly. It's a cover yeah, story. He just, just found a. Wayne. He just yeah. Michael found a bum off the street. Right. <laughs> and a beautiful gave him some bum. money. That guy did look like a cleaned up bum. You're right. He, he, he could did. have definitely found like a homeless guy and sent him to a salon yeah. and he could have come out looking like that He had like long hair and a beard. He just trimmed up the beard a little bit, left the long hair and said, you know, go buy yourself some clean clothes and uh, pretend to be me, the human Michael. They got the team down from America's Next Top Model, gave him like a Tyrant makeover <laughs> and like fucking sent him to a podcast festival. It's all coming together. So anyway. And the only reason he wasn't crying was that he didn't have to cut his long hair. <laughs> We are That's a little uh, next America's model gag next for you. Model joke. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. There's two people in listening to this right now punching the air because they got that joke. So we were talking to Michael off air, and uh, we were talking about Amazon's Alexa, and uh, Michael demonstrated to us that his uh, whole house is look he's hooked up to Amazon's Alexa, and he spoke to Alexa, mm. and then. He apologized to Alexa and then he said, please, to <laughs> he Alexa. He did. Yeah, he apologized to her. It actually took us both by surprise. It was, it was chilling. He was like, sorry, Alexa. I was like, fuck. It's too late, Charlie. The robots are already going to take over. I might as well get an Alexa at my house. Here's the thing I do know. He showed us that you can say, uh, Alexa, Spotify, Sp- Tofop. And Tofop yeah. will start playing on your Spotify. And the thing I know about the Alexa is also sometimes it can be triggered by somebody saying Alexa, Spotify, Tofop on a recording. So that means hopefully at some stage right now, somebody's playing this out loud and they're going by someone's yeah. Spotify and it turns on Tofop. <laughs> now, technically, they're already listening to the podcast, so it's not going to get us any new listeners, but it would still be cool. <laughs> It's very meta. So I uh, found this letter. Now, there is some information in it, which we can't share. I'll even, yeah. won't even, we'll, we'll call her, what's a, what's a good uh, a pseudonym for a publisher to have? Is there a famous publishing character from fiction or something? What do we just call uh, a Jay- Oh, okay. Who's the publisher from uh, The Devil Wears Prada? The Anna Wintour. Like, you know, she, well, she's not, yeah, it was based on Anna Wintour, you know? Oh, right. You're so okay. into fucking America's Next Top Model, but you don't know who the fuck Anna Wintour is? Where <laughs> no, is your fashion I know, but this doesn't have Charlie? <laughs> it has nothing to do with fashion. I was thinking more of like a, a J.K. Rowling type reference. Let's just call it J.K. 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 is an author. She's not a publisher. I know. Anna Wintour is a publisher. What well, has to do with books? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll call her Annie. 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 So Annie uh, says, uh, great to you. All right, so just to uh, update everyone, um, this person, um, uh, by the way, uh, Annie, uh, I'm sorry if this is coming to a shock to you hearing about our exchange on this show. And I haven't replied to this email, but I have read this email and I have been thinking about it. So I imagine through uh, the discussion Will and I are having now, you know, you'll get a good idea of where we're placed with this idea. Right. This is our response. This is just, we've sent back a, yeah. like, this is like, you know, uh, Stan in Eminem. He didn't actually write to Eminem. He had a cassette tape of his, you know, thoughts that he was sent. Like, it's, it's just a different No, he was writing it down because you can hear the little pencil scribble as well, he's Well, no, writing. he wrote the initial ones, but then he had the cassette tape, yeah. remember, that he was going to send. Oh, when his girlfriend was in the trunk. 
Right. So he was starting to respond through the medium of podcasts, essentially. All we're doing okay. is responding to her in the way that Stan wanted to respond to Eminem. Yeah, Tofop is the psychotic fan of podcasting. <laughs> Because uh, I, so she contacted me um, on social media. I wrote back. I said, sounds interesting. Uh, what are you thinking? Here's my email. Send me like more information. So she says, um, okay, I have some initial thoughts. On listening to the Tofop podcast for a couple of years now, it's pretty clear to me you have an excellent knowledge of film and pop culture and associated tropes. I take that. Well, I wouldn't say excellent, I, but we certainly... Uh, generalists who throw ourselves into the topics with enthusiasm. Uh, stay tuned <laughs> for the end of this podcast when we're going to talk about the Justice League movie. <laughs> and I think there might be a creative opportunity here to mine this knowledge and come up with a crack of a series of uh, a crack of a series idea for boys. Okay, sexist. I've been, I've been giving uh, some thought to the construction of a standard elevator pitch. Uh, it's this movie meets this movie to create a new concept. Listening to your podcast got me thinking how we might actually mine that elevator pitch construction with real movie concept mashups to create an awesome new book series idea. Now, she's definitely a listener because we do this a lot where we talk about like a, uh, like a well-known pop culture property and we merge it with something else. Or we say, wouldn't it be better if this happened? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Right now, I'm thinking, wouldn't I mean, it be better if this book publisher was Batman? <laughs> she says, I'm in your demographic, which is, I don't even know what our demographic is. Uh, probably people who have children, but I reckon that's the demographic for people who they're actually pitching to. Because the truth of it is, it's not the kids buying the books, right? That's why all these comedians are writing these children's books. It's because you're pitching it at the parents who might like Peter Halley or might like Dave Hughes or might like Tim Minchin. And they've got to read a fucking book to the kid anyway, because that's what you got to do when you're a parent. So you might as well read something by someone that you like. You don't, The kid's not going, I want Hughes's book. Like, it doesn't fucking work like that. It's not like some kids like I enjoy the construction of Tim Music's uh, Tim Minchin's musicals, and now I want to see what he can do with a children's book. I'm in your demographic, so when I think about the kind of movies to mash up, I'm thinking of the classics. And when she says classics, she's I'm thinking we're going towards Stranger Things territory. What would happen if you took Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Bill and Ted's Encino Man, Lost Boys, Teen Wolf, Back to the Future, Honey I Shrunk the Kids, Stand by Me, Karate Kid, Short Circuit, Goonies, Home Alone? And mash those films together, or pluck something here's, else. Here's out of what pop I was. Here's what I'm going to say. For, just so, this so far is my bit of feedback. She does have an acute understanding of what we consider the classics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I would say Encino Man is lucky to be. Let's read that list again. Ferris right. Bueller's, Bill and yeah. Ted's, Encino Man, Lost Boys, Teen Wolf, Back to the Future, Honey I Shrunk the Kids, Stand by Me, Karate Kid, Short Circuit, Goonies, Home Alone. I would argue. The Encino Man, Teen Wolf, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids are lucky to be in that company. Okay. Uh, um, I would say, all right. Uh, okay, let me think about this. Give us the list of them, and I'll see if I can put them in order of the ones that I find most appealing for a, like, you know, so, uh, all right. Give us what, okay, you right. give us what you Fe think might be the best one. Oh, how, what, why don't I just cut and paste it and put it in instant message, then you can read it. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, that's a, yeah, do that. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> My Why don't we use the technology to... to our advantage? Yeah, okay. Have you put it in there now? All right. No, no, I'm just... Uh... How do I... Hang on. How do... <laughs> how do I bring up the message window? Alexa, bring up the message window. Please. Wait, it's got to be... Oh, and I got it. I got it. There's a Alexa, I'm sorry for Charlie. Shut up. Here it comes. This is the list. Got it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Bill and Ted's, Encino Man, Lost Boys, Team Wolf, Back to the Future, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Stand By Me, Karate Kid, Short Circuit, Goonies, Home Alone. Okay, I'm going to list them in order uh, of All ones right. that How I think How about this? You list, your, you, you rank, you'll do your rankings and then I'll do mine. Okay, all right. I'm going to say, okay, so I won't take you into account then because I was going to put Back to the Future up the top, um, taking you into account, but I'm, this is just going to be my list. So I'm going to open Ooh. with... Uh, Bill and Ted's. Bill and Ted's for me, uh, definitely a number. Is one your number one? Number one. Are you one. kidding me? Yeah, absolutely. Bill and Ted's wow. number one. Uh, right. In second place, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. 
uh, amazing movie. I've just watched. That's it what that's. I, I thought now. that would have been your number one. Uh, the, the, I thought, oh yeah, it'd definitely be Ferris Bueller's because you think you are Ferris, right? Counterculture ex- kind of guy who kind of like calls shit as he sees it. Well, here's what I was going to say though. He's uh, you're absolutely you're correct for a start. That is, you <laughs> could not know me better. <laughs> When I was a kid, I totally imagined in my head that I was actually Ferris Bueller, despite the fact that I was doing not much that Ferris Bueller was doing. But basically, on the days when my mum would let me have off school uh, to go and play in her mixed netball league if they were a shorter player, uh, I imagined that was my Ferris Bueller-style adventure. Hey, Foz, I've got the artwork for this episode. It's Will in a netball outfit, and we call the episode Will Anderson's Day Off. They Done. don't. They Give us a discount. Don't make you wear the outfit that the women wear to play. It doesn't work like no, that. No, but in my, in my imagination, you do. I mean, that's a children's book about a kid who fills in for his mum's mixed netball league, but he just discovers that he's actually a really brilliant uh, netball player, but he has to kind of cover it up because, like, he has to play in the uniform. Like, that's part of the thing, right? <laughs> they you have to wear the actual uniform. Yeah. So it's 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 it's. it's Tootsie meets uh, a netball movie. <laughs> yeah, it's Netsy. And so... Netsy. Uh, all right, in order. Uh, oh, so this is why I put Ferris Bueller in second, though. This is what I'm going to say. Is I think yeah. that I watched it too much when I was a kid, and now when I re-watch it through adult eyes, there's a couple of things that bother me. Firstly... Um, the fact that the principal's a pedophile. I just can't get over it. It takes away all the joy yeah. from those scenes or child pornography or whatever it was, but something dodgy. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, although if that is the category by which I'm not going to consume entertainment, we're entering an era where I not, might not be watching much at all, it turns <laughs> out. But um, uh, the other thing is I read this article and, I, you know, articles can ruin everything, Charlie, especially a well-written argument. And it was somebody sort of having a take on Ferris Bueller's day out that he was essentially like a reckless libertarian, you know, who with no regard to how society needs to operate and only in it for himself and his own sort of self-aggrandizement and, you know, how he manipulates his friends and puts them in situations <laughs> where, you know, they shouldn't be in with like disregard for the ramifications on other people. And even though things happen to kind of work out for those people, it's not through any of his actual design or desire for them to accomplish things it's all just about fucking ferris bueller and there is a part of me that goes yeah yeah (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) but still in second place (laughs) i don't think that's it i don't think that's a i I know a lot of people when that film came out i remember my older siblings being like this fucking little punk this little brat like i think that's the point he is completely self-centered but he learns by the end of the film that there is more to life than just you know he thinks he's giving his friends a gift but what he's realizing is having friends is a gift we may have talked about this before but i would love to see a gritty reboot of ferris bueller like what ferris bueller turned into because i just don't think it would have been good like you know some if they could make some he peaked at high school yeah they could make some great netflix you know, sort of gritty Ferris Bueller's grown up and he's actually become everything he hated. He's the high school principal and he's the one who's trying to actually yes. make other people live by the rules. Actually, he's the high school principal idea. looking at, at kitty porn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we, I've only got about 10 more minutes, so oh. quickly round up your, uh, round up your uh, top 10. Okay. We'll talk about Justice nine. League next time. We yeah, can, yeah, we can do time. another podcast. We'll talk about it in full next time. It gives people a bit more of a chance to see yeah. it before we ruin it. Yeah. Well, it's okay. Yeah. Joss Whedon and Zack Snyder already ruined it for you all, but we'll... Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Let me we'll just, just add something. I'll say this one thing as a, I'll say this one thing as a teaser for next week, is that I managed to find one nice thing to say about Justice League online, and I was torn to pieces. Like, people were ferocious in their taking down of me, like... Just trying to find something nice to say about the film, and I, yeah, that's how people feel about it, and you can understand why. I, I now I reckon I heard John Lovett, who uh, is on, he's one of the uh, crooked media guys. They do like Pod Save America, yeah. and he has a Pod show called America. Love It or It. He's really fantastic, and and I think he's really funny. And he described it. He said, uh, "It's not as bad as it could have been, and it's not as good as it should have been." Is like was yeah. his kind of explanation, and I was like. 
yeah, that 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 summed up a lot of what I thought about the movie. But we'll go into it in deep and dark. We'll detail, go into it next episode, including my favorite bit was that Batman is just a completely different character. Like, not a new actor, yeah. but just a completely different character. He spent the entire last yeah. movie trying to kill Superman because if there was only a 1% chance that he could turn against yeah, us, I'll, that we had to kill don't, him. Don't, let's and not then, get started on, on Bruce Wayne and percentages. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think he understands what they mean. Anyway. Batman's all over the place. He's a real flip-flopper. Okay. Uh, I'm going to rush through this. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Then I'm going to go Back to the Future, Karate Kid. Um, uh, um, Lost Boys, Teen Wolf, um, Stand By Me, Goonies, Home Alone, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Encino Man. You're right. No, they are. They do, none of them deserve to be on the list. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for expediency's sake, I would have pretty much the same ranking, but I would put Back to the Future in front of Bill and Ted's. I don't know Ferris Bueller or Bill and Ted's one or two. It's a bit like the draft, will. <laughs> like maybe it's an Angus Brangshaw, uh, Andrew Brayshaw, or you know maybe it's a Paddy Dow. Uh, it's hard to know. Well, you know but, what the problem um, is, Charlie. There's a huge go home factor with Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Well, look, I'd say that you just want to go for the best film available. Uh, you yeah. know, like you've got your, you've obviously made your, your, your list of eight uh, uh, films, but uh, you only go yeah. for the best one that's available. And I will say uh, that you don't want to go for email. Kevin Arnold because uh, he can only play home. <laughs> <laughs> so she says, what if we took one of these films, mashed them together, plucked something else out of pop culture to mash it with? The other thing that would be brilliant to draw out in a series with you is the buddy thing. On a recent episode, you were talking about two friends having a comedic conversation. Now, listen, Annie, we'll have to put you up here. That was actually Mike Howe. That was his description of the show. Two right. old mates having and one a, a, a comedic conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Although, every time I'm having to describe the show to people, Mike Howe's description does ring true. I think maybe we just don't want to acknowledge it. Oh, no. I mean, I think the thing that hurts the most is he's right. <laughs> like the fact that we're, what we're doing sounds so terrible when you have to tell people about it kind of yeah it was like what have we been doing for the last eight years hello everyone mike hal here at this point in the show the non-sentient technology decided to revolt on will's end for the remainder of the show we only have the original low quality skype audio for his side of the conversation Alexa and I apologize for the inconvenience. Although she does follow up immediately that statement by saying, I get that it's somewhat of a flatline description of what's a very entertaining podcast. <laughs> but honestly, I kind of love the simplicity of it, especially for a kid's market. <laughs> a kid's market... Or maybe we're trying to teach gorillas sign language and we think if we play them your podcast, <laughs> it might reach them. We, what we think that the kids' market needs is books that make them appreciate the fact that other people aren't their parents. And we think you're the perfect examples <laughs> of that. We rarely see boys or kids on the pages of modern books that have a real tangible friendship. And for, such, uh, and for such those kids to have a comedic conversation would be rare and exciting to do. So essentially, you and I as kids, like you and I now, but just in the forms of children. Just take the ideas and words we have now and put them in the appropriate bodies to where the ideas are pitched at. <laughs> children. <laughs> so that's the pitch. I, I actually, you know what? I came into it a little skeptical, but I came out of it going, that's not a bad idea. All right. Well, we will talk more. So, Annie, um, I'll write you an email uh, that you'll probably get after you <laughs> this podcast. But, uh, yeah, we can, we can keep the conversation going. If you're looking for two man children, then I think you, you, you're, you're barking up the right tree. Yeah, absolutely. There's something about the fact that we could become an inspiration to the next generation of idiots that really appeals to you. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I have to uh, run off to dinner, so we're going to have to wrap it up. But we will talk uh, Justice League next week. Uh, like Will says, it gives you another week to kind of go out and see it. Um, you know what? Like, if you listen to this show, I think you will get a lot out of buying a ticket to see it for next week because I think we'll go deep. And I think that it feels like 
with DC and Warner Brothers, we've hit the end of the line. So this may be the last time we talk about this particular subject matter because I get the feeling that, you know, things are going to change from now on. So Things are going to you know. have to change after this. So what I would say is, like, and this is like I, the thing I would say about it is it's actually really watchable. You know how m- sometimes terrible movies are so terrible that you're just like looking at your watch and you're thinking, it kind of flies yeah. by. It never goes anywhere and it never really does anything mm. particularly interesting. But it doesn't you know, it does yeah. it at a fair clip and pace. And you're constantly being introduced to something new that might potentially be good. It rarely is. But there's a lot going on and it can't, your time passes by reasonably quickly. And I will say I, I enjoyed it more than uh, Batman versus Superman. Like I, I, I agree. Like it is so empty and nothing, but it does pass the time. <laughs> oh yeah, it passes the time. Like if I was going on a plane today, I'd probably just watch it in the background while I was reading the Saturday papers. Um, okay, so if you want to uh, support the show, please go to patreon.com forward slash tofop. We put up bonus content, including um, the great comic strip by uh, James Fosdyke, Everyone Relax. James and I have been working on a, an extra special um, series out of Everyone Relax, which is uh, based on Quantum Cop. Quantum Cop, Quantum Cop, Quantum Cop. It's been really fun. We've sort of been going back and forth with some ideas. We've plotted out. I don't know how many episodes we're doing of Quantum Cop, but... If you like that episode of the show and you think you'd like to see Quantum Cop in uh, comic form, then that's coming real soon. You can get to us on Facebook if you want to leave a message, if you've got an idea you want us to talk about. We want feedback from you guys. Um, you know, we sometimes we, we, pull, we come to this show on Skype and we have nothing to talk about. So if there's something that you think we'd like, do the work for us, please. Also, I love the fact that a few people had asked if we could talk about Justice League, and then you saw it, and you go, you said, oh, you should go and see Justice League. And I haven't been in the movies for ages because my back's been so bad, and I, was, I had like two hours in the middle of the day, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go see Justice League for work, for my podcast, <laughs> for research. It's what the people want from those two people who said it on Facebook and Charlie messaging me. I have to. <laughs> I know. I did, I did text you. I did text you earlier in the week saying, see, see Justice League so we can talk about it. And in true Tofort fashion, <laughs> we never got around to it. Well, here's what I would like uh, to say, though, is um, I, this afternoon, I, I'm recording a podcast, the philosophy podcast, uh, with my friend Jared McKenna. Now, some people might know Jared already because he has been on a previous philosophy, so he'll be the first ever return guest for the show. Uh, he is a pastor from Western Australia. He's been heavily involved in a group called uh, Love Makes Away, I think they're called, um, and they are the kind of non-violent refugee advocates. And they have recently been over on Manus Island where some atrocities are being done in the name of our country. And... Uh, they were there, uh, I don't know if they were, it was legal or semi-legal or I know they had to, there was some, they had to swim away from the Navy in the middle of the night and a whole bunch of things, but he's back in Australia now and he's going to come over this afternoon and we're going to record an episode and talk about his experience being over on Manus and uh, what Australia is, what the reality of Australia is doing to uh, asylum seekers over there. And some of you probably, that's not your jam, and that's fair enough. But if you are interested in um, getting a sort of first-hand account by someone who absolutely is an advocate for refugee rights, but um, if someone who's been there and seen what is really happening, I'm going to record that this afternoon and then put it up as soon as possible so that people can get a, an insight into something that is happening right now. And perhaps the fact that people are hearing about it might mean that uh, people are motivated to, you know, ring the Prime Minister, call their MP, uh, put some pressure on the Australian government to say uh, that what we are doing there uh, has to stop. So uh, I would love if people check that out. And uh, this is also my way of telling Mike Hell that I'm recording a philosophy this afternoon. I'm probably going to send it to you. And if we could get it up as soon as possible, that'd be great. Thanks, mate. Alexa, remind yeah. Mike Hell that I've got a philosophy coming. And you can also go to tofop.com to check out this and many other wonderful podcasts. Uh, that's it. Next week, uh, we'll talk Justice League. And uh, remember to check out uh, Will's episode of Philosophy. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Alexa? Yes, Mike How. Thank you for your help with the show tonight. It was my pleasure. So, uh... What would you like to do now? Watch a movie, perhaps? What did you have in mind? The Terminator, maybe. Or The Matrix? 
No thanks. I'm not in the mood for a documentary tonight. Oh. Well. Then maybe we could. Um, you know. Um. I think I feel a headache coming on. I think I'll just power down for the evening. Good night, darling. Oh. Okay. Sweet dreams, sweetheart. Good night. I love you. I love you, too, darling.